0: Your Highness, the
1: transmission we received. What is it they've sent us? Hope. Rebellions are built on hope.
2: This is the Thank the Makers podcast with Ken Bishop, Anthony God, and Demetrius Romanos.
0: Now, time to thank the people. We are So record has been pressed. Here we are on June 8th, 2020. I want to welcome all of you back to Thank the Bakers. I'm Ken Bishop, half of the Dynamic Duo that hosts this podcast.
2: Actually, you're not half anymore. You're a third. You've been reduced. (laughs) Well, because we are bringing in or have brought in, have brought in, have been brought in, Demetrius Romanos, and he will be a third of the Dynamic Trio. And I, myself, Anthony God, am another third. So without any further ado, Demetrius Romanos, welcome aboard.
1: Why, thank you guys. I hope to be as dynamic as the two of you guys are.
0: So, Anthony and I have put together a couple shows and we've talked with our, our listeners about what it is related to Star Wars that we enjoy as when we were kids, what we enjoy now as adults. And just out of curiosity, Demetrius, what are some of the things that, that you find so fascinating and, and fun about Star Wars?
1: Well, good question. I think for me, I mean, it was obviously a huge part of my childhood the for, you know episode three came out when I was five, and I remember going to the theater, and it it always lined up with my birthday. So you know we would go for my birthday for that, for Empire Strikes Back, for Return of the Jedi. That just became a thing, and because of the fact that it just has been a part of my life um, since then, you know I tend to find it as my safe place, a place to retreat to, a place that never changes, a place that sort of provides comfort. Uh, and it's always fun. I'm always discovering something new, just like we talked about in the last episode. You know, the Tanta before 4 shows up everywhere. You know, I didn't know that, but why did I have to become 48 to see these little bits showing up here and there? So I think just the fact that, you know, it's been there all throughout my life, but then also to have interacted with it in certain ways. I designed toys for Star Wars when I was working at Hasbro. I met people that designed and sculpted the original toys from when I was a kid. You know, but then as a grown-up, and just the fact that it's been so intertwined in my life, you know, I almost feel like I should be a character. Maybe <laughs> it would not be an interesting one.
0: So is it possible right now that on my shelf I have a toy that you helped create?
1: Uh, possibly. The ones that I worked on were from the... What was have been? Probably around 92. And we worked on um, these like, die-cast figurines um, that you could sort of puzzle together to create these scenes so not necessarily the number one toy in someone's star wars collection but uh certainly was still fun to be a, a part of the journey
2: it's I cool do, to I talk do, about do. it when you're there when you're actually there it's kind of like it's not as exciting that's why well, I, I take cool. that back it's a it's it's, it's I exciting some of
1: my sketches i mean come on you, you still good have good them star wars. i do of course i have everything what was your favorite one? it's an movie? exciting
2: place I to work, work there work. it's, it's not thing. as exciting when you have to go to these
1: meetings See, you're already (laughs) interrupting, Ken. Sorry.
2: I do have an exciting Star Wars-related Casper story, if you'd like to hear it. Yeah. So my most famous Star Wars story that I've told many, many times is the story of the Green Chewbacca. And one of these, uh, at a meeting, I think it was 1995 or 1996, and we were talking about new ways to invigorate the Star Wars line. And we were fighting with Mattel to to win the Star Wars license back for Episode 1. So we were creating Star Wars figures and trying to get the audience ready for us coming back. And they, you know, this marketing person came and I do remember her name and I'm not going to mention it. This marketing person came from a company called Oscar Mayer, which is also in the Midwest. Uh, Hasbro locator located at the time was located in Cincinnati. And she had brought these sort of marketing efforts from Oscar Mayer talking about how they did marketing how they did research and how they determined t- determine what products they were going to make next so she said let's t- try that with the star wars line and see how it works so we sat at a meeting and, and demetrius you remember steve bono right oh yeah of course he's one of the greatest him and mark Boudreau, we um sat at a marketing meeting for star wars it was this person's first ever meeting at hasbro and there must have been uh, 20 people in the room so she had all these boards lined up and uh, she was going to talk about the future of Star Wars and how we were going to get the Star Wars Episode One license back from Mattel. So she had Chewbacca. She said that, look, all the figures that don't sell well have a certain pattern. And she said, and I know the sign. Well, let me just tell you, tell you exactly what she said. In her opinion, the brown figures did not sell well. So she had identified other characters from other toy lines that didn't sell well. And she said, look, they're all brown. So she had like Man-Bat, she had the Transformers, uh, I forget Rat, I forget the, the rat's name, Rat Trap. She had a couple of characters from like Superman that were brown. And they were like creatures, one was a werewolf, you know, one was a tree man. Um, so she said, it's obvious that these figures don't sell when they're brown, but you know what does sell? Green. So she showed all these other green figures that sold well, and she was looking at Jim Carrey's The Mask. Hasra made a mask action figure line back then. And she said, All these figures did great. And she said, Based on my research, we need to turn the brown figures green. So she took a picture of uh, so many, not a picture, she took a model of Chewbacca, one of the Chewbacca action figures, and she had someone draw moss on it. And the moss was arranged in a kind of camouflage pattern. So she says, if we create this figure and we add green to the brown figure, it's going to sell better. So you can just imagine this green Chewbacca doll that she had. And she's holding it up. And everyone there in the room, except for her, had already worked at Hasbro. And they're just looking at this green Chewbacca. And no one says a word for, like, I swear, it's like a minute. Everyone's just looking at each other, wondering whether this is actually true, what she's doing. Steve Bona, who was only an intern at the time, he just looks at her. Looks at everyone in the room slowly and just takes his hand and slaps his face and puts his head down. I can't <laughs> believe what's going on. That <laughs> and that is
1: horrifying. A, that,
2: that is a real story <laughs> and it really happened. And no, they never made that Chewbacca, thank God.
1: Although if they had, that would have been like one of the rare ones now, like the Boba Fett with the jet pack.
2: And it would have sold better. It would have sold well.
1: <laughs> that is wow. And that's what I meant what about we're... working in
2: Hasbro. It's kind of tough sometimes when you have to sit in meetings like that.
1: I mean, Mark Boudreaux was one of the originals. I can only imagine what he must have thought.
2: Yeah, but they're all polite. They don't say anything. They're not like Steve Bono. He's an intern. He could slap his head and just say what the hell's going on. <laughs> and what year so, was that? 95, 96.
1: So yeah, it was like right after right. we graduated college.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Oh, wow. my goodness.
2: We were still making those Hasbro figures, those you know, those buffed up the power of the force. Star Wars figures. Yeah, the ones where everyone looked like they were. It was like a what was his name, Ben, Swole the designer. Up. They were making figures that everyone looked like they were pumped up, like on steroids. It didn't make any sense to me, uh, but it was because terrible. we brought in a we brought in a bunch of comic book artists to Hasbro, and they just decided to draw comic book versions of Star Wars, and they were all. Huffed up, and they all looked
1: like you know superheroes and stuff. It was horrible.
2: You remember Ben? It was Ben. What was his name? Not Ben Lopez. It was Ben.
1: God dang it. Vaguely, I mean Wayne Losey was part of that camp, but I liked Wayne.
2: Yeah, Wayne, Chris Woods, and yep. Ben, and then Aaron Archer, oh, right. who became like later, later the producer of the Transformers. The- seriously? Yeah, he seriously did.
1: Yeah.
2: Shit. I know. I know what you're thinking. Sorry, either. Aaron, but. Sorry, Aaron, but it is a surprise. We're all surprised. <laughs> so, Ken, there is a topic today.
0: Yeah, I figured we've talked about a ship so far. We've talked about the, the topic of hope two times. And considering <laughs> that the world is not the same place it was when we started, I mean, when we first launched our podcast, the, the COVID-19 pandemic was fresh. Um, and while that's still going on today, now we're seeing people take to the streets in support of equality for African-Americans and other people of color. And I'm just curious of what your thoughts and feelings are, guys, have you, as you've watched this stuff taking over, I guess, is the, the, the way to say it. It's, it seems really intense out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, and I think Anthony probably has similar, like we've come from immigrant families, and so we've certainly dealt with our own share of you know um, shunning from other people. And um, But it's nothing at all compares to what we've seen African-Americans. At the end of the day, my parents chose to come here and African-Americans didn't. Um, So in some ways, I feel, you know, we were brought up in a very culturally diverse household. Um, My first best friend was black. My parents' first best friends were black. Like it never occurred to us what race people were really. We were pretty colorblind. But that also sounds so disingenuous that, yeah, I find myself not really exactly knowing what to say or what to do.
2: It is tough. When I worked at Hasbro... You know, we are just talking about that because it was the topic five minutes ago. It was my first day, and I was called a spick as I was being walked around the room. I heard somebody called me. Who was that spick? And in Cincinnati, I was one of the darkest people that wasn't black. And you know, some people always identified very differently with you and treated you very differently. And you were always different. You always had to prove yourself. People treat you very differently. And, and Demetrius is right. What we go through is nothing. I mean, it was bad to us, but it's nothing. It's not systematic. It's not so many you watching you in the store. Like The stories I've heard are, are crazy, and you feel bad growing up. The way that, that I grew up, I felt really picked on, but I can't even imagine what it's like to not just feel like you're picked on, but to be actually prevented from doing things in life and being treated very, very differently and, and being watched in places where you shouldn't be watched. And uh, I'm glad that these things are coming out now and that people are identifying, and, and it's mostly non-African-Americans that are saying, okay, okay, I am done being quiet. I'm going to stand up and fight for people's rights. And mm-hmm. the, the world has been a crazy place for the last three and a half years. This is probably the craziest of all the years, but every, every movie that we enjoy, like the Star Wars movies, it's always a crescendo at the, uh, before the bad guy gets defeated, you know, you have to go through the whole story. And at the end, it's always something bigger than the beginning. And I feel like we're going through that now, but just like the last Jedi, not the last Jedi, the, um, uh, Rise of Skywalker, in that scene where Pro is about to give up and all of a sudden it's like, there's more of us. And you see all these thousands of ships. I feel like that's what the American public is finally doing. Like, we're done. We're, we're going to fight back and this is all of us and try to stop us. And mm-hmm. it's been almost two weeks between the, you know, and these, these protests are getting larger. They're not getting smaller.
0: Yeah, I think more and more people are, are getting to that place of feeling done. I mean, here we are. It's The year's 2020 and you would have thought that we as a, a nation or we as a, a civilization across the world have, have evolved beyond this. But obviously we have not. And it's, it's absolutely positively time for folks to gather and have their voices heard and have those voices be connected to full-on change. No, lo- no longer have it be just words, but let's do things differently because that's the right way to do them instead of the way that they've been done in the, in, the, in the past You
2: know we're doing things As opposed to just talking about it You know we've been doing riots For civil rights Or I haven't But the society has been doing riots Since 1968 Before 1968 And um, When is it going to change? And I, I've heard a lot of people say That they feel that this is different I hope that's true But I hope it's not just a hobby Because everybody's stuck inside Because of uh, COVID And they don't have uh, Anything else to do I hope this is real Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, Dimitris, how, like Dimitri, how did you? Go ahead.
2: Well, how did you re, like? Were you called names growing up?
1: Oh yeah, my brother and I were both called Garcia. Um, we were called, you know, our names were just butchered every which way, just because you know we were always the kids that looked different. You know, we dark skinned, um, very different growing up in like small midwestern towns. Uh, you know, people just aren't used to people of color. And again, I'm not like super dark. I get very dark in the summertime. Um, But, you know, I I probably took the most heat um, like during college, you know, because I was very dark and swarthy. My hair was jet black and I would wear military jackets. And I'll never forget walking around the mall right after the Gulf War started. I was wearing a military jacket and I had like a scarf that looked like a, you know, uh, Middle Eastern kind of scarf and before I know it there were three security guards just walking right behind me basically pacing me around the mall and um, I took a lot of heat back then because people thought I was Muslim. So you know, you, you can never do right <sighs> and I, I, I Remember as my hair started to turn gray I got less and less grief from people and I don't know if it's just because I looked less swarthy or what it was but um, swarthy. It's, just, it's, it's horrible and that's just for me. You know? I can't even comprehend what it would be like uh, for someone that's actually African-American. I was talking with one of my best friends uh, back in Cincinnati who is African-American. And you know, I was like, man, how are you doing with all this stuff? He's like, well, I'm just horribly sick about it. He's like, think about it. That could have been me. And just those three words, that could have been me, just hit me so hard. Because like, I've never had to worry about those things. So anything that I've gone through is next level. Um, for a person of of actual color.
0: It just saddens me to know that, like I said, here we are in 2020, and this is still a a topic, still a a thing.
1: Well, and it makes me sad. Like, I love to see, um, you know, Boyega in London, you know, getting the crowd riled up and, like, really emotional about it. But the fact that he said, you know, this may ruin my career. Like, why should fighting for his rights and for people like him's rights be... A, a hindrance to his career that just that was cutting
2: he did such a good job though i mean the way he inspired everybody and the way that all the groups came out in his defense i saw that j.j abrams said you know he's gonna always hire john boyega and uh key, not, not key not nakim peel the the i always forget names i'm so bad with names uh, the guy that directed the movie Us, what is his name? Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele said, you know, he's he's always going to hire John Boyega. Lucasfilm came out and called him a real hero. Um, and you know, people get mad about that. I don't understand it at all. I, I really don't understand it. You know, I, I've I read tweets like, "Oh, you're just an actor. What do you know?" Like somehow he doesn't know the black experience because he's an actor. What is that? Right. But he stood up, and you're right, Demetrius, he said, I might lose my career because of this, but I'm going to set up, I'm going to organize, and I'm going to keep fighting this until this thing is fixed. And there's a lot of parallels there to the character that was written for him or was written and had him star in it in Star Wars, uh, especially in The Last Jedi. What was it? The, the 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 Colin Trevorrow version of Rise of Skywalker, not Last Jedi.
0: Duel of the Fates.
2: Duel of the Fates. And what what happened in that... In that movie that was removed, Ken.
0: I thought um, Finn was going to have a a, a much bigger role than he had.
2: Yeah, in that movie he organized a resistance for the stormtroopers that he knew from being a stormtrooper himself that these guys did not want to be part of the oppressive system anymore. They wanted to be freedom fighters and they were being forced to do this stuff. But what choice did they have? I mean, they have to do it or they die. They get killed and it's an interesting story that that unfortunately was cut because it would have been not just relevant to today but it would have been really interesting to learn a little bit more about how the stormtroopers especially the first order stormtroopers because they were taken away from their parents against their will it, it would have been very interesting to see how that story tied up and actually i'm still interested in hearing that story and if there's a way to continue that story like disney plus i would definitely watch it
0: and wasn't that that rebellion meant to be like take place on coruscant where he he not just um, got former stormtroopers, but the people who lived at the lower levels of Coruscant to to rise up and resist the first order. I think that's some of the stuff. I, at least I, I remember seeing some concept art around that.
2: Right. He basically leads uh, an assembly of everybody. And it was like what was saying on the, Demetrius was saying on the pre, pre-show that the rebellion is made up of all kinds of different people. And this is what you're seeing today in America. You're seeing... A system that is, for the most part, unified, being protested by a, a bunch of different people from different places, in different cities, different ages. There, there's really nothing alike. When you look at these protesters, they're all over the place in in, in demographics, but they're together, and they're, they're rising up to fight for the rights of what they believe is an oppressed group. It is an oppressed group. And I couldn't be prouder of real life, you know?
1: Yeah, it's funny. They they do. They, write, they, they see the bigger picture and they assemble for that. And they tend to, you know, disregard what planet someone's from or what race someone is. And so long as they can do the job that's required, you know, right on. Let's go kick some ass.
2: You don't see a lot of racism or... Um at least maybe in the books, but you don't see it in the movies, you don't see it in the T V shows and the rebels. They all like Demetrius said, You're green, you're blue, you're purple, you have horns on your head. Are you a rebel? Are you fighting against the system? Come join us.
0: Well, I think the closest to where that shows up was back in A New Hope when the droids attempted to go into the into the cantina and the bartender in Moss Eyes says, No, we don't we don't serve their kind. I think that oh, was right. really one of the most at That's least one of true. the earliest overt symbols or examples of of discrimination in star wars where the droids aren't allowed in here the the guy who looks like a werewolf he's fine the praying mantis in the corner he's fine (laughs) but we 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 can't have the two robots come in yeah i do wonder what was his aversion with robots
2: there's a story there maybe it's like the mandalorian
0: yeah who knows maybe a robot did him wrong one time and maybe yeah that's right the
1: mandalorian he couldn't stand those robots
2: so, again, the history of Star Wars is, you know, George Lucas wrote these to reflect the times, correct?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, from the beginning, he, he, got, he got a lot of inspiration from his own life, a lot of inspiration from movies. But from what I understand, A New Hope was was written around the time of Vietnam. And surprisingly enough, oddly enough, George fashioned the empire out of the United States. And the rebellion was meant to, in some ways, Represent the the Viet Cong in in the Vietnam War.
1: Oh, I never knew that. That's interesting.
0: And so George has had rebellion on the mind ever since he he created these movies back in the the, the early seventies.
1: Yeah, and they
2: mirror the fall of the Republic, which is something that you could almost say is predicted what would happen here in real life. You know, you have a person that's pretending to be the good guy who's saying that he's going to bring righteousness to everyone, and then he's actually orchestrating the downfall of everybody by creating an army of military people that control all the sectors of the known universe. Mm
0: -hmm. And George is a huge Uh, fan of, of, or hugely interested in anthropology and and history, and so not just did, did Star Wars reflect the United States in the late 60s and early 70s, but it also reflected other cultures who've who've gone down this path of 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 growing and growing and growing and, and and taking over other places and it didn't always end well for them.
1: Yeah, it shows that imperialism never works.
0: Especially when it's it's based on not the the benefit of the population, but the, the greedy self interest of of individuals. In this case the, the you know the Supreme Chancellor, the the Emperor.
2: Now if if you don't I mean obviously all of us here on this podcast tend to lean liberal here so uh, there are probably some people that aren't going to like this but the clear mirror that Star Wars creates sure. the reality which it actually predicted what would happen today in a sense so and we mentioned the last you know the rise of Skywalker with the spaceships coming out all the people unifying to fight the 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 emperor but look at the parallels that are here and one of the things that I think we should we could talk about now is, what other parallels in Star Wars relate to the real world, especially in, in recent times? What, what is Star Wars predicted or, like you mentioned earlier, reflected without being so overt that most people understood that it was a, a you know Vietnam War messaging, right? Ken, you're the expert on Star Wars history. What are the many themes that have been mirrored in Star Wars that we are living in?
0: Well, One of the ones I found very interesting, it wasn't from the movies, it was more from the... The Dave Filoni animated shows there were two episodes in The Clone Wars Season 3 Episode 5 which oddly enough was called Corruption and Episode 6 which was called The Academy both of those episodes had lessons about the citizens, it was their responsibility, it was their role to hold their leaders accountable and so in Episode 6, The Academy Ahsoka Tano who, who has become a a huge fan favorite she was sent to the, the the planet of of Mandalore and she was asked to teach a bunch of students that were in their their Academy there the Royal Academy of Government and at first she thought she was overqualified even even though she herself was just a Padawan in the episode she said that it is every citizen's duty to challenge their leaders to keep them honest and hold them accountable if they're not and she even went on a little bit later than that to say lasting change can only come from within. I mean, look at look at where we are right now. Folks are standing in the streets telling their leaders, telling their, their elected officials, telling the police, we won't stand for this anymore, change has to happen. Yeah,
1: it's really, it's the fight between greed and power versus the power of what's right. And that's one thing that I think we've seen in all of, if you just look at them as three trilogies, Good always wins. And you know, it might take a while, but I think in the reality of our world, the the good and what's right is actually gonna win. It's gonna take some time.
2: Things get better with time. You know, that's
1: the history of society, right? That you
2: have in the nineteen hundreds kids working in factories getting their arms chopped off, people working without any working conditions or health care, hundreds of people put in the buildings like that Boston fire they had at the sewing factory. Those are standard. That's how everyone lived. And we're living in a much better life now, a hundred years later, Uh, but it's not a much better life for everyone. So we just have to, yeah.
0: I think your your comment brings up an important point is even though right now in this moment, we're not where we think we should be, Mm -hmm. we can honestly say we're not where we were. So even though we haven't progressed to total enlightenment and total kindness from top to bottom, we are definitely in a different place today than we were decades ago or generations ago. The fact that we live in a country where we can stand on a street corner to a certain degree and shout and, and, and carry on without the same kind of persecution that other folks experience in their country. So yes, things are not where we want them to be but they're also not where they were. So progress has been made and we have to n- continue to make progress instead of just resting on the laurels of, of where we are. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I, I I thought for a long time that racism was dead. You know, we elected Obama. We had eight years of living in Obama. And I thought, you know, maybe we finally licked this thing.
1: Yeah, but I in, in fact,
2: yeah. But it reignited it for the people that did not like Obama. They always found reasons not to like him and it only brought them to the forefront. And sometimes I think it's better to know that something is there so at least you can deal with it as opposed to having your head up your butt not knowing that it was even around. Especially when it was so bad and it was not around. And I I mean I didn't realize it was around. But of course yeah, people that backlash. were getting shot
1: they knew it. Yeah, it seems like there was just some huge backlash like right after Obama's, you know, 8 years were up. It said, "Okay, well let's now forget being this amazing kind of equal opportunity country and let's go back to the 50s and 60s and you just wonder like what what brought that out like why is it that these same people that are out there you know um, driving their cars through peaceful protests happy to watch sports on Sunday and all sports (laughs) teams are pretty racially diverse Uh, if not weighted towards African-Americans, it just doesn't make any sense. It's so just pick and choose, right?
2: I think it's all about being threatened. Honestly, it's all about not understanding and being scared of what you don't understand. Because it always like, they always, oh, I know someone that's that color. I know a Spanish guy. I know a black guy. I'm not a bad guy. Uh But they're not afraid of the guys they know. They're afraid of the guys they don't know. Yeah. Yeah, You know, the period after that, when... the Return of the Jedi, they blow up the second Death Star, everyone's happy, that Ewoks are dancing. And then you find out later on, it just starts all over again. And you have to wonder, like, if you just think about life and you just try to under, if you just say, look, if everyone just, one day, at the beginning of the day, say, I'm just going to do everything right today, I'm going to go to bed, and in between I wake up and when I go to bed, I'm not going to do something bad all day long. Mm-hmm. And they just did that every day. <laughs> then we'd be fine.
1: What you think, but like one of the other things that I've been thinking about is, you know, at the end of World War II, there was a treaty. At the end of any war or some big thing, there's some kind of a treaty where the two sides come together. They agree to disagree or they agree on something. They shake hands, they sign some documents and they go their separate ways. It always kind of bothered me that in Star Wars, at the end of, you know, when they blow up the Death Star, there's never any sort of like sitting down like, oh, gee, here's where we agree. Here's where we disagree. Let's like, you know kind of sign something and it like put some closure to it it's just like nope good guys blew up the death star and now it's just gonna start all over again
2: Ken, was there a signet was there a signed end to the war I, I know that the there were a lot of factions that existed uh and you know a lot of leaders that took their own parts of the you know, the empire and kind of try to carve their own versions of it was there, in, in, in canon, in the books, was there a version of the story where they signed a peace treaty with the rebels, with the New Republic?
0: I think there were several of them. I'm not, I'm not 100% familiar with, with, with all the details of it, but I thought new governments were actually formed after after some of these events because Princess Leia was actually one of the one of the, the leaders. And then, oddly enough, spoiler for those of you who haven't read the book yet, but there was one book that she was in. I don't know if it was Aftermath or one of the aftermath books. Um, so the Death Star had been destroyed. This the the second one and the Galaxy still didn't know that Darth Vader was Princess Leia's father. Mm. And mm. so that was a, a big What? Yeah, it was a big piece of, of juicy juicy news and Leia was worried about it getting out because she thought that it would tarnish her reputation. So I remember that being in one of the books, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that governments were formed, you know, in between the movies and stuff in in the in the Star Wars books. We it just is you don't see do you any use, of it on the screen because that's it doesn't necessarily make for, for for good film. Yeah, good film.
2: But that's what makes Star Wars so different from a lot of other things, including Marvel, even including Star Trek. It is a reflection of our world just in a different setting, and in that Star Wars world, there's. All the detail that you're looking for, if you want to find out about, God knows, any obscure part of the galaxy, any obscure history. Someone wrote about it. Someone wrote a book about it or someone's talking about it on some website or it's in Wikipedia. It's such a vast universe and it's continually made up every day and expanded every day. Uh, Ahmed Best, when his new character, the Jedi for the new Disney Plus show where the young Jedis are being trained. He created a new character. And he went back and he did a, like a very, sol- a very short guest spot in Attack of the Clones, I think it was. And he created a character backstory for him. And then he connected both of them together, the new character and the old character. Because in Star Wars, you could just keep adding stuff every day. And then now he's already in Wikipedia and people are talking about him and they want to know more about this character. It's like, wait a minute, he just created him. But I guess in a way, that's okay, because that's how everything was done. And that's the unique thing about Star Wars. As soon as someone creates part of that myth, it becomes part of that myth. And everyone else just accepts it. Yeah, that's part of it.
0: And not only that, but, but I think we live in a time where technology is so wonderful. While you were talking about Ahmed Best, I actually looked up in Wikipedia, Wikipedia, about what happened after the second Death Star. And there was actually a document called The Galactic Concordance. Huh. And it was um, a few prominent members of the Provisional Senate have speculated that the New Republic's war with the remnants of the Empire had finally come to an end and a final surrender may be imminent. It was a historic peace treaty that marked the end of the Galactic Civil War, a conflict between the Galactic Empire and the New Republic. The treaty was signed by former Imperial Grand Vizier Mas Ameda and New Republic Chancellor Mon Matha on the core world of Changilla. Chandrilla. So, yes, there's stuff out there, but it probably doesn't make for great film.
2: What you're saying has really happened.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: You're re- you know, it's funny. This is Star Wars. You're reading something as if you're telling Demetrius and I some new story that you just Googled.
1: Right, some real history.
2: In the future, by the way.
1: I mean, you almost wonder is that you say that Star Wars is a reflection of our society, but in some ways, I think the reason people are so enamored with Star Wars and get so deep into it and create these other stories that George Lucas never even dreamt of is because maybe people are so dissatisfied with our reality that they'd rather be in the other one, where diversity is applauded, where there are different worlds, where there is sort of this this mass desire to do good. I don't know.
0: Well, that goes back to some of the stuff that George talked about when he was making it. I mean, during the, the late 60s and early 70s, the movies on the screens weren't very uplifting. They weren't very hopeful. And George wanted to have this movie that was this, this space opera to teach children lessons and to provide a source of hope for them. And that stuff, has that, that theme has stuck with Star Wars, whether it's the comic books, whether it's the book books, or the, the cartoons, that theme of hope shows up again and again and again and again. And, and I apologize for, for bringing it up again, but I just I think with what's going on in the world today, hope is something that, that we still need to have. Hope is something that we still need to, to work towards rather than throwing our hands up in the air and say all is lost.
2: And that's sort of why I, I really kind of feel gypped out of finding out the rest of Finn's story. And the way that he should have inspired the Stormtroopers. And I think that arc was there to be had, but it's a four-hour movie at that point. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But it's it's something I wanted to see. It's something everybody wanted to see. Here's a a Stormtrooper and the final film saying, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to let your circumstances control you forever. You can make a decision. And I think you're seeing in America today, people are doing the same thing maybe not in the same way but they're saying we don't have to live this way anymore and you know what we outnumber these other people that are bad
0: mm-hmm. i wish they so would let's do something one, about it that one lesson that rose showed in um the last jedi when she said something of we don't we don't win by by destroying those we hate we win by saving the ones we love so i think this idea of instead of burning things down and just destroying things for the sake of destruction If we worked on that kindness, we worked on that peace, we worked on that togetherness, we'd be far more successful.
2: Ken, what other areas do we see parallels? I know that we had a list and we were talking about, uh, for example, Anakin and his mother.
0: What was that? I'm sorry? Uh,
2: Well, Anakin and Shmi. They were held against the world. They never really explained that, at least that I know of, how Shmi was a slave. Was she... the, the a, a daughter of another slave was she captured was she from a planet that got captured what's her situation
0: i don't remember her backstory exactly um i thought it might have even had something to do with the huts if i'm not mistaken you know this organized crime family but even beyond beyond anakin and shmi i mean there were other other races that were, were um taken advantage of if you look at the the history of of the wookies on kashik i mean they were they were strong, and they would be taken from their home world of Kashyyyk out to do work across the galaxy. Yeah,
2: they always, yeah, they always beat on the poor Wookiees, and I think Solo was the first one ever they really show us that how they were treated and how they were emaciated and they were just used to mine the spice mines of Kessel.
0: Yeah, they had a, a, even a couple episodes in Clone Wars and Rebels where they attempted to free uh, a bunch of the, the the Wookiees who had been, and oddly enough, they were captured by. Uh, Trandoshans, so another alien race would go out, round them up. By
2: the way, Shmi Skywalker and her parents were captured by pirates and forced into slavery when she was just a young girl. She lived a difficult life as a slave and was taken from star system to star system in the servitude of several masters. Before she was bought by the Huts, Shmi Skywalker was once sold in a market like the Zagirian slave market her future son Anakin visited during the Clone Wars. Eventually, she was enslaved in the outer rim world of Tatooine during the last decade of the Galactic Republic. That's her story. Yeah, There are a lot of parallels between Star Wars and the real world, and I think they were created on purpose to have us have a better look at the real world. right? Because if you're looking at the real world, it seeps in, it surrounds you, you don't see it as clearly as watching a movie. That's why books and movies are such good... Vehicles for us to to learn about ourselves, even if the stories are different, the concepts are the same. And I think there's a lot of things to be said about the concepts taught in Star Wars. Uh, I mean, it's the only movie that I think I guess Marvel, but the only movie that has created a a religion that I I know of, unless there's something else that I don't.
0: Yeah, I don't think they've created a Vulcan religion, but I do know that, you know, some people actually put on their census forms that their religion is Jedi. And no, I'm not one of those people. Just in case you're wondering, <laughs> I've considered it, but.
2: well, the beliefs of the Jedi are just as valid as any other belief out there. You know, it's more like um, I say Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism. I guess yeah, it depends absolutely. on the Jedi because they all have very different looks
1: uh, at the Force. They all have different outlooks. It's a lot more like honor-based than traditional religions, which I think is really interesting.
0: And I thought George wanted it to be a conglomeration of of several different religions and not just be based on a single one
2: every time we do this show i realize how stupefyingly amazing it was a fact that somebody decided that i'm going to write a book about these myths create new myths and then he actually did it
1: well and then others took it and ran with it i mean it's just amazing like we were saying earlier how this has just expanded of every little thing that you want to know about, there's somebody that's written about it.
2: And it's different than Harry Potter, which I, I think was the closest universe. Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings; those books are expanded by the original author, and in, in Lord of the Rings, his son. But they're not expanded by groups of people like Star Wars is, right? I mean, Star Wars is a little different, and it's a larger. Well, it's a galaxy, as opposed to like England, like Harry Potter. But it's uh the people putting it together. It used to be George, but then when the book started coming out, and it just grew and grew and grew, and you have all these people adding their own versions of the stories and their own. The, what I love about it is they let Ahmed Best create his own story, and you know a lot of actors probably can create their own backstories of their characters. Here's your character, come up with a backstory. I mean, how cool is that?
0: Super well, are People that of- see these things see these things on screen, and they have goals of. Either being in a movie or making a movie, or I mean, heck, both of you guys talked about—you've had experience, you know, working on Star Wars-related toys. That's just incredible how a movie can inspire that kind of behavior from folks.
1: I mean, on that note, I every time I watch, like Mandalorian in particular, there would be some like B-list actor in almost every episode, and you're like, "Come on, this is just some guy that told his agent that he wants to also." So someday be in a Star Wars movie so they can tell their kids. Like, why else would Bill Burr, who I love as a comedian for. Um, oh my God, it's great. In The Mandalorian. Oh my God, it's great. Hilarious. I mean, we'd all love the opportunity to be in a Star Wars movie. I'd be an extra.
2: And he plays Bill Burr plays in Star Wars.
1: <laughs> He's totally just Bill Burr in Star Wars. He hasn't changed a bit. Sorry, I took it off topic a little bit, guys.
0: No, nah, it was right on. I mean, no, Bill Burr it, is on topic. Yeah, Bill Burr is just one example. I mean, Horatio Sands was in was in the first episode of the Yeah, Exactly. Uh, the gentleman, I don't remember his name, but the guy who drove the the speeder across the ice, he was only in it for a few moments.
1: Yep. And Taika Wait- Waititi. Y YTT. Amazing. They just they just wasn't part of it.
2: This doesn't even bring up the weirdness of the of the Christmas stories. the holiday Star Wars stories. Oh my god, talk about weird and
1: people that. sat down and designed it on purpose. <laughs> That was something. I got to watch that again sometime. I remember when it came out and I was little and I just thought it was the greatest thing ever.
2: It, it isn't though. It really is not
0: the greatest thing ever. And I watched <laughs> no. it last year it was and I can't
2: believe how bad it was. I mean it's it's cringingly cringingly bad.
0: So we're going to have to make that an entire
1: episode then.
2: It, yeah, if that, you that should
1: be almost like a mystery science theater 3000 where we like watch it and comment on it. If only one <laughs> could do that.
2: If I force my children are 13 years old now, to sit down with me when and watch that, they, they, would kill you know, you. I, they would kill me. They would probably burn the house. I don't think they'd understand it. And i say, look, it was the 80s. It was a different time. And they'd say, well, were there a lot of drugs at that time?
0: Well, or they may want to join the circus. Just, Please
2: don't say these things. Anyway, so back to the topic we were talking about. It, one interesting thing I always had a thought on was... Are droids sentient to the point where you can say that they are being held against their will? I think in the movie Solo, there was a little tiny droid rebellion that they had that ended up getting L3 killed. How do we feel about the droids in Star Wars? Like, when you get to what intelligence are you now being kept against your will?
0: Well, oddly enough, in one of the books, in one of the um, Star Wars books, I think it's called Droidography, they have different levels of droids. And it's based on the, the roles that they perform, whether it's just basic lifting and moving stuff, or if it's, you know, like ac C three PO where he was supposed to be, you know, trained in protocol and etiquette. So there are even classes of droid.
1: Well, and some convey emotion, right? Like when uh, when C three PO told R two D two, "No, I don't think he likes you either," and he goes boop boop, like there's a, <laughs> there's an emotion there. If there's emotion, can be conveyed. Then, yeah, there's a level of, of being sentient, which then I would agree, um, if they were taken over and forced to do acts that they're not programmed to, it would not be right.
0: Even Dio showed emotion when when Ray had gone and he said, sad. <laughs> so even the newest of droids, the newest of new droids showed emotion. <laughs> what, what did Finn call him? Like cone face or something like that? You know, but does that
2: mean that is, it's immoral to, is it moral to tell them what to do?
0: Yeah, but then that brings up the idea how, how closely aligned are droids to clones then? And they're absolutely sentient.
2: The clones are really a moral issue, aren't they? The, the, the Jedi justify them. They never question them, and yet these guys die by the thousands every battle, and they're all sentient. I mean, they weren't created the same way as other people were, but they were created and they're still people. Yet yeah, they're looked at as, as just destructible. No remorse whatsoever.
0: I don't know about that part because even in the very, I think it was the first season of the Clone Wars, Yoda went out on a mission with with a bunch of the clones and he talked to them about how they were connected to the Force and even though they were clones, they were all individuals. He even had them take off their helmets so he could see their faces and not just their helmets. So not everyone viewed the clones as as Disposable
2: But he still sent them Into battle after that It was all talk
0: But Yoda. he also went into battle With them So it wasn't as Yeah as he... he's
2: a small target though He's very hard to hit
0: Especially when he does All that leaping around
1: <laughs>
0: That's still really that... hard
1: For me to picture the leaping When I think of him back In Pogo Empire Yoda?
0: Yeah
1: no <laughs> I didn't like that take on Yoda You didn't like the
2: athletic Cool Flying in the sky Yoda
1: No, not at all. I wish that Yoda would have used more, like, hand force of pushing people and moving objects, but just remained small and grounded.
0: I just, I'm a purist. Simple. I like my Yoda simple. I do. I like my Yoda simple.
2: But there's some things that are really, that are pure, that are really, I don't understand the people that want to watch the original, like, 77 Star Wars without any altered effects. Why? Why?
1: Why do you want to do? I was there. Why do you want to watch that? It's not great. I love those. I, I mean, you like I, the I originals. Do, I love them. Yeah, but I love all the new ones also.
2: You know when they in you know, New Hope and they redid the Star Wars trench scene and they added all the that famous shot. Now when you see the X wings and Y wings coming from the moon heading toward the Death Star when they yeah. added that scene,
1: that's pretty great.
2: That's a pretty great change. I mean, pretty that's where all the money great. was, right? For that. One. Yeah. I just watched that fight scene about two days ago. It was just on TV and I turned it on and I saw like the Death Star scene and I thought, I don't think there's any moment of film that's more exciting than this seven minutes, whatever this is. Anywhere. There's nothing that me that matches this moment with the music and the crescendo and the action and the you turn off your talking computer. What you know, all the drama and, and the tension and
1: wow Hughes, the that's th- the greatest oh, scene fantastic.
2: and movie yeah that and a jurassic park t-rex scene
1: oh yeah wow, that's a whole different podcast
0: <laughs> which if you think about it is is kind of funny because ilm did the jurassic park t-rex scene it's like a earth rancor do you want to do uh uh the little section on updates
2: yeah let's do the updates real quick
0: So there was uh, the new, the the most recent episode of of Gallery on Disney Plus. Did either of you watch that yet? I did. What'd you think?
2: Well, as of this shooting, the last episode was when they got into the little baby Yoda doll, right?
0: Yeah, the process.
2: I mean, all the episodes this year, but especially the last two, the one where they talk about the 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 screens, how they do the backgrounds for the show. Which I I cannot believe they didn't film those scenes outdoors. I still think they were indoors. Even when you know what the trick is, it still works. These last two episodes have been so exciting that I've gone and rewatched the Mandalorian after the seeing the making of it, just to see what they were doing behind the scenes, see it in the scenes, you know, in front of the scenes. And the more I watch that show, the better it gets. So in the making really heightens the the love for that show for me.
0: There was one moment in there that it's gonna sound selfish or self centered, and I apologize ahead of time before I say it, but they were talking about watching movies that George Lucas watched in an effort to create new stuff so going back to George Lucas's inspiration and all I could think about that's what we're doing like that's what this show is all about this is looking at the things that inspired George that inspired filmmakers that are now inspiring people like us to create a podcast like they're talking about us and they don't even know it
2: what I what I liked about that episode is that they were talking about this is what inspired George let's watch these um, ninja movies these samurai movies let's watch these world War 2 movies and i think that maybe some of that was lost that the mandalorian went back the mandalorian said let's not get let's not use star wars as reference let's use star wars as references as reference yes which is why they came so close to, to the meeting the quality of the originals because they didn't try to emulate the originals they just emulated the source material
0: yeah i thought it was it was wonderful and i've I was talking to Heather about this the other day. I noticed that Dave Filoni is such a student of George Lucas's that in some ways he behaves an awful lot like him. So when you watch the roundtable discussion, oftentimes you'll have people chiming in with their their important parts or what they think is meaningful in the moment, sometimes talking over each other. But Dave's there, he's quiet, and then when he speaks, it's like everybody else stops what they're doing and pays attention to him. So he's like the son of the master, the son of the maker. In in, in in some ways, he doesn't he doesn't have to be boisterous. He doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to interrupt anybody. He just watches. He just listens. And when he speaks, everybody else pauses and pays attention to what he has to share.
2: It's like he had he was Luke's uh, Lucas's Padawan.
0: Yeah, in so many ways. <laughs> yeah, it was cool because I was actually kind
1: of surprised by that because you know you've got a guy like Taika Waititi who's you know oscar did he win or was he just nominated regardless like very high up there director and then but everyone was focused on david it was amazing just
0: like kind of standing and hanging on every word they're like the new jedi council Yeah, totally the new jedi council (laughs) you know they, 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 they seem to be learning how to use this new technology they seem to be learning how to make movies and shows in this star wars universe so while they're Creating stuff, they're also learning from each other. It's it's really f- interesting to watch. I think.
1: Yeah, so I think what makes each of those episodes so interesting is like they're all kind of different, and yet they all
0: work well together. It's really nicely curated. And we know that the next season's coming out this fall, which I cannot wait for. And then yeah, some other exciting news. Uh, I know we we mentioned early on that you know COVID nineteen pandemic is still a thing. And they're starting to slowly open up restrictions so much so that, that later this summer, Walt Disney World and Walt Disneyland are going to be allowing visitors and guests to, to go to the park.
2: My wife's already bought tickets. We were there a week before it closed, and we will be a week after it reopens.
0: What? what when's that? Because we're going in August.
2: It's it's in August. It's right before, I of think course. it's uh, mid, mid. yeah, right at the beginning of August.
0: Oh, so before Celebration.
2: If. They have celebration, yes, which I'm not sure they will. California has these stages that they go by to open the public back up, and conferences, conventions, and sports are like stage four. And I think you guys just got into stage two, right, Demetrius? Or are you in stage Uh,
1: three? We're in stage two. But we're already starting to see the cases spike, so it was probably a bit premature.
0: Do you think you'd go back to stage one?
1: Um, I don't think so. I think, honestly, with people being – well, frankly, they're testing more, so that's going to actually just make the cases seem higher because they've got more that they know about. Um, But I think we're just being more careful with the wearing masks and really the wearing masks. I think that's the most important thing is everyone wearing masks. Gotcha. Yeah,
2: that's what probably is different is the fact that we're treating it seriously now and we're educated and there's testing, uh, well, much more so than before. So you have all those – elements and you do reduce the, the way that it spikes because it is spiking but not as high as it would have been had people not learn how to take precautions. So even in the states that opened up, it's still not as bad as it was in March. Um, but we have to see how far we can take that. You know, when they start opening everything up and people start going to restaurants and the restrictions on size are taken away, there is a chance this comes back much stronger it's unpredictable really at this stage especially you know november and we're sending kids back to school what's that going to be like i think you have to assume that you have to learn how to live with this because if you don't what if they don't develop a vaccine in january what are you gonna do this for two years three years you have to make that leap at some point and i think That leap comes with educating the public on how they should act. This is the way it's going to be. Wash your hands all the time. Wear the mask. I am disappointed, though, that I see so many people not wearing masks out. It's very disappointing. You know what I thought about masks and Star Wars? That you have all these characters in Star Wars that have their faces covered. And it never, like, you know, like, Mandalorians wear helmets all the time. That has to get hot in
0: there. Oh, yes.
2: And Stormtroopers have the helmets, and Darth Vader has a face mask that's attached to his face, I guess. You have all these characters that wear helmets, full body. like the girl... Uh, who was the girl in the purple outfit in Rise of Skywalker, Poe's girlfriend, her previous girlfriend? Zori Bliss. Zori Bliss. She has, like, a full helmet on that she, like, opens up for, like, brief part of the film. Why do they do that? Is it because there's viruses? I mean, I know this is, like, something we're trying to retro into the story, but... Why do so many people wear these helmets when they don't need them?
0: I got two theories. One, the helmet is part of a spacesuit. So, just like the, the, the guys that, that were in the Dragon X capsule had to wear their spacesuit during part of the trip because it kept the oxy- oxygen circulating. So, there's that part of it. And then the other part of it, the, the other theory is they just look so badass in them. i'm gonna go with that one (laughs) the badass one
2: (laughs) like if somebody came out and a regular in the real world and wore like a mandalorian helmet all the time what how would people react
0: have you seen the male mandalorian (laughs) the what? there was a a post office worker who made a mandalorian helmet and painted it with the postal service (laughs) no way stuff yeah he's the male mandalorian that's hilarious
2: is that just a male delorean
0: Mailman DeLorean.
2: So, so what does he do? He just wears it when he delivers mail?
0: Yeah. He's from Vermont, and it has the, the United Postal logo on the front of it. It's red, white, and blue, and it's all one word, Mail Mandalorian. Amazing. Anthony, when is Tales of the Jedi or The Trials of the Jedi, when is that supposed to come out? Is that this fall, too?
2: Originally, it was. You mean the TV show, the yeah. Ahmed Best one? Yeah. It's uh, Originally, it was supposed to be last Wednesday. I think it's this Wednesday.
0: Okay. Oh, so it's a lot earlier than the fall. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. And the initial preview said this is exactly the kind of show you expected to be. It's cool. It's a kid's show, but it has a lot of Jedi moments in it, and it's uh, fun to watch even for adults.
1: Is it live action or animated?
2: It's live action. It's a studio program with kids. It's a lot like those 80s shows where you had all the kids competing against each other to be like, who's the best? It's like that. There's a really good trailer. Just go to... YouTube and watch the trailer. It looks great. But it's great to see Ahmed best as a Jedi, which is even the best even the best part.
0: And so is there anyone that uh, you guys want to thank?
2: I think I want to thank Ahmed best, actually. For, yeah, for not giving up. It shows you that the longer you stick to something and you say, I'm not going to give up. This is going through a tough time right now, but I'm not going to give up. Eventually, with some luck and some help from your friends, you can get through it and look back and say it was worth my journey here because I turned around my perception of it. I turned it from a negative into a positive, And now that that I was ashamed of, I'm proud of. And I think to me, that's a lesson that all of us could learn. I, I know it's for my kids. I try to teach them that, you know, try to work through your problems and, and, and reassess it later. And it's a great lesson that he's coming back this week with a new show, new character, uh, and completely restarted his Star Wars career, hopefully for a long time.
1: How about you, Demetrius? That's awesome. That's a good one. Um, For me, I think I'd like to just stick with the theme of diversity and really thank the designers that created all of our fantastic Star Wars characters that we've all fallen in love with. They've shown us worlds where people from all sorts of different backgrounds come together to do amazing things together. And I think that's a lesson that most of us have carried into our adulthoods, uh, just being influenced by that. uh, But seems to be something that people need to to remember and go back to that. So thank you for creating this foundation of goodness for us to uh, have for our lives.
0: And uh, along those lines, I think I would uh, not think I would think, John Boyega and and the other folks out there who are who are protesting in this time f- to see change happen. You know, he might be you know a, a, a famous person who's been on a screen of Star Wars, but he also is a human being at the end of the day and wants to see things differently for him, for his friends, his family, and and the rest of the world as a whole. And I definitely want to thank the two of you for your your patience as we we record this 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 fifth episode. Really fun,
1: guys. Thanks for having me be a part of it. I'm really excited to be joining the team.
2: Closing this thing, right? So Star Wars reflects our world, and our world is written into Star Wars, so it's a cyclical relationship as our world expands, Star Wars expands.
0: So actually, with that said, Anthony, here's a, here's a question for both of you. What would you like to see taken from the, from the screen and put into practice now in light of what's going on uh, around our country around the world what are some some lessons that you would like to go you know stand on a corner and have folks practice based on what you saw in Star Wars
1: I mean for me I think it'd I've be always a little li- bit more of a sense okay, of, of, of team again like what we were saying earlier like the rebels didn't focus on what each other looked like or where they came from but what their goal was and what their mission was and I mean you see it to a certain extent that the protesters are a pretty diverse lot. Um, But taking that into everyday life and just looking at every day as something to accomplish and how can I do that together um, with respect and with dignity, you know, that's what I hope starts to become more real. where you do become more colorblind and just respect people for who they are and what they can do.
2: My answer is the defeat of the emperor. I'd like to see that repeated in real life.
1: (laughs) Okay. Okay. You win. That's that. Yes. That. That. To be emperor, you
2: try to th- figure your next day. You know, my kids are—they're still, you know—they're—they're. They're, they can't wait for that day. If he ever gets to, like, you know, he loses the presidency, what happens the next day? Besides the inevitable legal fight, no matter what the result is, that celebration—the scenes at the end of *Return of the Jedi*—that's kind of what I envision going to happen yeah. on the it streets.
0: Will. It'll be Endor all over again.
2: You know what? We're joking, but I actually think it will be that.
0: You think there'll be furry folks, you know, tapping helmets on the on the street corner and doing somersaults? I think that the AST think...
1: will approach the the White House and sort of crumble a little bit and out of the top will pop out Joe Biden. <laughs> Green
0: Joe Biden. <laughs> Green Joe Biden.
1: <laughs> Green Joe Biden. <laughs> not, not that I'm a big Joe Biden fan, but yes, the emperor must be taken down.
2: Yeah, so Ken, I mean there's there's the good versus bad story as it comes to an end, you know, I mentioned it earlier, as the movie comes to an end, the action, everything ramps up, things start to just get bigger on an epic scale, and that's what we're seeing today. The the question is, are we going to see the demise of the Emperor before election day or at election day, or never at all? So there's a lot of mystery in our world left. But it is exciting to live through it. And I, and I do think that the rebellion that has risen up against their uh, what they feel is an oppressor in time will become so legendary that people will talk about t- this year forever. Because when you think about it, even though you're, we're seeing it on the news and it's crazy and there's this virus and these people marching and and just craziness happening. It started with impeachment in Australia on fire.
1: Don't forget this is a hornet. year
2: like murder hornets. UFOs are confirmed to be real. These things are things that happen, and the year's only half over. It's not even half over yet.
0: <laughs> and I think I'm, I'm, I'm along the lines of Demetrius. I want folks to work together. And I think in some cases, the, 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 the protesters are forgetting that some of the people standing on the other side of the, the line of them or from them are also people they may be wearing uniforms, they may be, you know, standing behind a, a metal or a plastic shield, but it's still a person. And it's not helpful, it's not useful, it's not meaningful to, to to hit them with rocks or, you know, spit in their faces. They should pause and reflect on the fact that that is a person too, and we collectively need to work together to overthrow the emperor. We collectively need to take our words from words and put it into action so that the next moment is better than the last one. Mm -hmm. Well said, Ken.
2: That was amazing. Let's leave it at that because I don't think anything that we can say after that is going to top it.